Tonight is the ladies' responsibility to get folks here. So, ladies, uh, uh, I've been... Uh, I've been expecting you great things from you, great things. So uh, in a moment, I'm going to ask you if you brought a guest, and you be sure and raise your hand if you've done that. And uh, I also want to mention tomorrow night is men's night. That means the men have the privilege and responsibility to get folks here to hear the Word of God. So men, I hope that you're inviting and trying to get folks to come and encouraging them to come and and uh, bribing them and uh, using every available means necessary to get folks to come to church. Uh, there was a man in South Dakota years ago who worked with a, a friend and he was burdened for him and he didn't know where he was spiritually or uh, what he was thinking spiritually. And so he invited him to come. He said, oh, by the way, he said, you know that money you owe me for a four-wheeler? It was like three or $400. He said, yeah. He said, I haven't forgotten. He said, I promise you I'm going to pay. He said, I, I just haven't, I, we've, things have been tight, but I'm going to get around to it. He said, if you'll come to one night of the revival meeting, I'll completely forgive the debt. And that man came. Now, he didn't get saved, but he was under obvious Holy Ghost conviction from the moment he entered to the moment he left. And uh, there was he was 30-some years old and had never been inside the doors of a church. And I just want to go on public record and say thank the Lord for a Christian gentleman that was willing to make such a sacrifice. That That was quite a sacrifice. And uh, so I'd use every available means to get folks to come within good reason. And uh, and uh, I know that it'll be a blessing. Uh, now, out west, uh, where were we out west? Out west. Oh, out, we're in New Mexico. And we gave motivation. Now, we're just giving stuff off the table this week for people that bring visitors. But out west, we offered a free bull ride for any of the guys that won. <laughs> And, uh, I don't, they were cowboys, but they weren't really going for that. So I, I don't know. Maybe we need to rethink our strategy, I, I guess. I want to mention there's some good items on the table, some, some journals or prayer journals that are back there that my boys have made. Timothy makes the journals. And, uh, then there's some excellent top of the line chapstick that, uh, that Pete, uh, Nathaniel makes. Also, um, Andrew makes some wood burning things. He makes some beautiful wood burning that he is, uh, is doing some bookmarks that are back there as well, and then Timothy he uh, he makes some uh, beautiful bands, and and Peter Peter makes some pens, so they're back there, some beautiful pens. So if you're interested in that, uh, how many of you remember Billy and Christy Ingram? You remember them? This is Christy Ingram singing and beautiful songs, just that'll touch your heart and stir your soul. And if we run out of supply, we can send some back. So if somebody says, well, I'd like that, and there's two people vying for it, and there's only one left, we can work it out. Also, there's some thumb drives that people may be interested in that have 70-some sermons on them. And so I want to encourage you to go by the table. Uh, I hope that you had a good day. I had a good day. It's beautiful out. And uh, I thank the Lord for the good weather that you all ordered for uh, my arrival. I really appreciate that. Uh, although when I got here, it was pretty cold. But, you know, I knew things could warm up. So I'm glad, glad for that. If you brought a visitor tonight, ladies, would you raise your hand if you brought a visitor? Wonderful. We're glad you all are here. And we hope it won't be your last time. Is there anybody else that maybe I'm missing or overlooking? Be sure and see me after the service. We'll be sure and uh, make sure that you have that. All the children can be dismissed. Second grade and down, right? Second grade and down. Follow Miss Corinne. Now, Miss Corinne, I'm not sure. Uh, I mentioned this to you last night, but you know, on Sunday, Pastor said there was going to be a special evangelist preaching to the kids' meetings, and uh, I'm not sure if he was referring to you or Brother Frank. But uh,
Pentium booth. Um, he also went to hear Catherine Booth. Now, I'm just saying this in tongue and cheek. We're Baptists. We don't believe in women preachers, but it's nice to have a sense of humor. And um, he said that Catherine Booth was a better preacher than William Booth. <laughs> I'm just saying. So you just uh, never know. Uh, take your Bible tonight and turn with me to Genesis, would you? Genesis. Genesis. I want to thank those that are doing the translating. Thank you very much for jumping in. Uh, Pastor is, uh, he's a lot like me, and uh, he's good at volunteering people, and I'm glad for all the volunteers that are uh, willing, willing to just jump in and do the translation. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for uh, the sound men <laughs> and for all that they're doing to make sure everything goes right. Uh, if the devil gets in, he'll either get in through the choir or the sound system, one way or the other. But uh, thank the Lord for that. Thank you for all your work and those working in the nursery to keep everything running just fine. Yep, I'm on and we're good to go. Uh, Genesis chapter 13 tonight in the Word of God. I want to preach to you on the subject this evening, when relationships break. When relationships break. I'm thankful for how the Bible is a practical book. How many of you are thankful for the practical application of the Bible? This book is timeless. It transcends every generation, any, every time frame, every technological and industrial advancement and gets us right where we're at. And I believe this, that if you were to cut the Bible, it would bleed two words. Worship and relationship. I'm talking about if you were to sum up what the Bible was about. I believe it would be about worship and about relationship. Uh, Anywhere you look in the Bible, you find worship. You find people worshiping false gods or you find people worshiping the one true God. You find the devil trying to get people who are worshiping the one true God to stop, to replace that with idolatry, to destroy generations to get the next generation to be worshiping false gods. Uh, you try to, you see the devil trying to get people to just not worship God, uh, to do everything but worship God. Uh, he'll be fine if you worship him. He, he tried to get Jesus to bow down and worship him, but, but he doesn't really care as long as you don't worship God. And, and so from Genesis to Revelation, you find the prominent theme of worship all throughout the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, men were worshiping God, and they were, they were walking with God. And then sin came, and it broke that worship. And the devil polluted that worship. And the devil is seeking that worship and seeking for you to place your worship anywhere and everywhere except to the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, in the book of Isaiah, the Bible says, I am the Lord. That is my name, and my glory will I not give to another. He will not share his glory with a, with a, a Catholic saint or with a Baptist preacher or with a Methodist bishop. He's not going to share his glory with a politician. He's not going to share his glory. And any time men received worship in the Bible, that it didn't work out too well for them. Herod received worship. And when he did, instead of standing against it, uh, God smote him down, and he died with a disease of worms in his body. Uh, Peter, men gave Peter worship and, and he said, stand up. I'm just a man. Uh, that's interesting. 
uh, especially when he's declared to be the first pope. Do you know if he is the first pope, he's the most unfortunate man that ever lived? Do you know why? Because he was never married and yet he still had a mother-in-law. But anyway, uh, 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 the angel in the book of Revelation, the angel, uh, he, 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 John fell down at his feet to worship him and the angel said, worship God. So from Genesis to Revelation, all throughout you find uh, the idea and the theme of worship, the need to worship the one true God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and bow down before him. And, and you begin that worship when you come to Jesus and believe that he died and rose again, and you receive the gospel, you receive Jesus, the giver of the gospel. But the other word that you'll find, or the concept, may I say, all throughout the Bible is relationship. And you know, I'm afraid that the devil has polluted relationships, perverted relationships, broken relationships. He wants to divide relationships that should be strong and strengthen relationships that shouldn't exist. He wants to get you in wrong relationships. He wants the relationships that are in your life that should be a husband to wife, a wife to husband, parents to children, children to parents, Christian brothers and sisters to each other, uh, loving each other, a, a sheep to their shepherd, the pastor, the pastor to the sheep. He wants to just botch all of that up. And many times we, we conduct ourselves in this area of relationships like we've seen. In other words, we imitate what has been modeled. Now, if I were to ask you, I won't do this, but if I were to ask you on a scale of 1 to 10, how many of you would say you had good models before you growing up? Some of you could say, yes, a 10, maybe an 8, a 9. Some of you would say a 1, a 2, some maybe in between. Uh, how to have a good relationship. That's a good study in the Bible. Somebody ought to preach a, a series or a Sunday school lesson on that. How, how do you have good relationships? You've got to have good character. You've got to have honesty. and You have to have humility. You have to have an abundant amount of love. That's why God said the two great commandments were to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I can't worship the Lord properly until I begin a relationship with Him, and that relationship begins at Calvary, at the cross, through salvation. But then if I have a right relationship with the Lord, one of the first things I'm going to be interested in is making sure I have a right relationship with my fellow man. And sometimes those relationships get scarred. Sometimes those relationships get broken. Sometimes those relationships split apart. And so tonight, for a few moments, I want to preach to you on the subject, when a relationship breaks. Father, will you help me as I preach to preach clearly and practically? And thank you for giving us this example in the Bible that we're about to examine. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that is going through a breaking of a relationship, a distancing of a relationship that shouldn't be broken, that breaks our heart when it falls apart. Help us, Lord, to respond rightly. Help us to see things from Abraham's perspective now, a godly perspective. And I pray that we would follow his good example tonight. In Jesus' precious and wonderful name, amen. Your Bibles are open to Genesis chapter 13. I want to draw your attention to what the Scripture says in verse number 1. Genesis chapter 13 and verse number 1. It says, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, 
and Lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle in silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai. Now, if you were to look at a map, you would see the Mediterranean Sea right here. Italy is up over here. Greece is right here. Turkey is, is, is right about here. And then you would come down on the western part of the Mediterranean Sea, the eastern shore, if you will, and you would see Israel. Now, Israel has not yet become a nation. In Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham that he's going to bless him and make his, his seed as the sand of the sea and the stars of the heavens. And, and Abraham at this time is not in Israel. No, Abraham is in the fertile crescent, which is north and, and east of Israel, up here. And, and he, he leaves all of that in, at the age of 75. And he follows God. I can imagine the conversation that went on. Abraham comes home. His name is Abram at this time. And he says, honey, pack our bags. We're going to rent a U-Haul and we're leaving. And she says, where are we going? Well, he says, I don't know. Well, how are we getting there? Well, we've got camels and, and all that. Well, well, what's the address? Did you type it into the GPS? How long is it? What am I going to need? Ladies are always concerned about those things. What kind of snacks are we going to need to bring? How long is this journey? And then, and Abram says, we're leaving it all. We're leaving it all. Maybe they didn't take much. Maybe they just took the bare necessities. And they left Abram and Sarai and Lot because Abram's brother had a son, Lot, and then Abram's brother died. And so Lot was his 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 dad, if you will, stepped in as his caregiver, as his as his model and example. And so they all left and servants and cattle and they left that area known as the Fertile Crescent, uh, the area that we would we would call Iraq today. And they left and they came down to the land of Canaan to completely by faith. Uh, no fancy roads. Now there are no highway system. Now there is. No map or GPS, now it exists. But Abram charted a new course. And, and his wife Sarai, just following God's word. Now I want to say, that's not a bad thing to follow. In fact, it's a good thing to follow. In fact, it's the only thing to follow. But Abram didn't have God's word bound in a nice leather copy, like you and I have 66 books. Abram just had the verbal, spoken word of God. And he followed the Lord. And he went down to Canaan, and while he was in Canaan, there was a famine. And that famine caused him to go down to Egypt. Now, I don't think God led him to Egypt. It just says he went down to Egypt. And Egypt in the Bible is always a type of the world, always a picture of the world's system and the world's philosophies and the world's ideologies. We spoke of one last night, socialism and communism. That's a, a worldly idea and a worldly philosophy that's not rooted in a Judeo-Christian ethic, but is rooted in hell. And so, and so uh, Egypt is a type of the world. It's, it's that, that, that glitz and glamour of the world. It's the appeal of the world. It's uh, when I flew out. Vegas. The Vegas lifestyle. Life on the strip. The gambling and the casino. And when I was walking through the airport, they were singing about Vegas. How wonderful it would be to be in Vegas. All the, all, all the money. 
and, and all the glitz and glamour and the bling. That's Egypt. And God says, no, that's not where you want to go. That anybody that has gone down to Egypt, no matter whether there's a famine or not, anybody that's gone down to Egypt and they haven't been led by the Lord. In other words, they're not on a mission or they're not there just for a time and then they, then they leave. Abraham went down there to avoid the famine. I don't think he went down there trusting God. He went down there to avoid the famine. And two tragedies happened when he went down there. Number one, he picked up a, a maid servant called Hagar. And she would later be, be used of the devil to try to pollute the promised seed and, and bring a breach in his relationship with Sarai. And the second thing that happened was he was able to get Lot out of Egypt, but it didn't get all of Egypt out of Lot. Now, I want to say something to each one here tonight that, that, that we need to be careful, very cautious what we look at on television and what we watch and what we peruse on the internet and what we, what we consume through our eye gate or through our ear gate because it's all very appealing. And it's hard sometimes, very hard sometimes to dif- differentiate between what is right and what is wrong. I mean, it can't be all that wrong. I mean, a little extra money, a little extra uh, uh, niceties, a few, mu- uh, a few more dollars in my pocket, just a little bit more uh, just for that and, and not in the will of God. Young people, look at me right now. The devil wants to, to, he wants to entice you without you knowing it's him behind it. And he wants to do that through the world. The world has a plan for your life and a will for your life. And that will is that you would marry according to the world's wishes. Or not. You would live in immorality. That your relationships would be according to the way they say. They want you to run their finances, your finances, the way they say. They want you to give your loyalties the way they say. They want you to, uh, they want you to follow them and not the Lord. They look at what we're doing this week and laugh. This is a priority for a Christian to honor God, to be in church, to sing praises to the Lord, to hear preaching, to respond to preaching. And the world looks at this and laughs and calls it foolish. But I, I don't know. I've, I've see, I saw some pretty foolish stuff when I was out in Vegas in the short time I was just getting on the plane. People gambling and wasting their life away. The world has a will for you in the, in the matter of, of your finances. It has a will for you in the matter of your marriage and your relationships. It has a will for you in, in many different ways. And that all got tied up and interwoven into Lot's heart. I believe that. Look at what the Bible says again in Genesis 13. It says, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him. Where did they go? Verse 3, And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai. Bethel means house of God. Unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. So Lot was a young man. Making his way, building his wealth, beginning his career, launching out into life, forming his philosophies and his ideas and his perspectives. And right now he was thinking, I want to make it big. I want to make sure that it's big. 
I want to go after this with all my heart. And he was doing just that. He was going after it with all of his heart. Notice Genesis 13 and verse number 6. It says, And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Now I'm speaking tonight on when a relationship breaks. The best you can do, you ought to be tying cords of love around your relationships all the time. In a myriad of ways. And you know, some things that may not seem to be spiritual actually are very spiritual. You say what? Like playing with your kids in the park. That's a way to tie cords of love around them. Taking time out of your busy schedule to spend time with your kids. If you're not careful, parents, you're going to turn your head and look back and your kids are going to be grown. Time with them, uh, washing the dishes with your wife, loading and unloading the dishwasher. That's a way to throw cords of love. And, and you should learn what your love language is and, and, and figure out exactly how you can best communicate to your spouse the love that ought to be showed. Uh, sometimes it might just be sitting and listening. Sometimes it might be, ma'am, taking an interest in what your husband is interested in, going fishing with him, going hunting with him. Or at least buying him some bullets. I'll tell you, ladies, that one of the ways that you can make a man happy is buying him bullets. I mean, that's a good thing. I'm encouraging everybody today to invest in precious metal, lead. But anyway, uh, 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 maybe maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's making him a special dish, dish, uh, ma'am. It's it's that's a good thing. I have a friend in East Tennessee who's a fourth generation bear hunter, and he's full of mountain hillbilly common sense, just a lot of it. And I I love being around him, and I love to glean it. And, and he said he will not at all do any marriage counseling anymore unless the young man knows how to work and has a job and the young lady can make biscuits. Otherwise, no marriage counseling. Forget it. Now, I want to say, ladies, if you can make the best way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Sometimes it might be making a good meal. Some thoughtful, selfless way to show love. Uh, sometimes it might be just taking a ride. You say, those don't sound very spiritual, and yet they are. Sometimes we're all thinking spiritual is memorizing scripture. I'm for that. Reading the Bible together, I'm for that. Sometimes it might just be reading a book together. Sometimes just spending time with each other. Uh, showing affection through uh, uh, physical touch or, or through just a listening ear and quality time or, or through gifts or whatever it may be. You say, well, that doesn't sound spiritual. Well, it is. Love is not an unspiritual thing. And so, and so what we ought be doing in this church, in our marriages, in our homes with our children and with our parents is throwing a thousand cords of love around each other so that it's hard for that relationship to break apart. Parents, we ought to make it so that it's hard for our kids to leave and easy for them to come back. I think that's a right idea and a biblical philosophy. Now, there's a time when they need to get out of the nest, you know, and and I think probably after they've been living in your basement until they're 35, that would be a good time for them to get out of the nest. But, but uh, you know, there's a right time for them to get out of the nest and and to go out and strike it on their own. But here, here's this is happening. And it's not just that 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 Lot is is wanting to make it on his own. There's something going on. There are some factors that play into this relationship that seems to be breaking apart. Notice the first factor in verse number 6. 
In verse number 6 it says, And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. In other words, there was an economic factor. Sometimes that's part of a relationship breaking up. By the way, I'm not talking here about a husband and wife breaking up uh, and, and that just be, you know, you know, laissez-faire. No, I'm, I'm not talking about that. A husband and wife should stick together. But sometimes those relationships break that we think are going to last forever. And they're not just, watch this, they're not just breaking apart easily and nicely. And we send them out with some gift cards and flowers and, and best wishes. No, they're pulling away. The person that we love is hardening their heart. Sometimes it's our children, parents. Wow, that's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to see a child harden their heart to their parents. Children, don't harden your heart. Your parents love you more than you can possibly imagine. When you're young, kids, you, you, you just adore your mom and dad. You love your parents. You think they walk on water. There comes a point when your teenage brain resets. It restarts. And when it restarts, it's, it's reformatting. And it's recycling all this data. And it's looking at life in a different way. And after a while, you begin to look at your parents like, they're aliens. <laughs> Who are you and what did you do with my parents? And your parents are looking at you the same way. <laughs> I tried to preempt this with my boys. I said, now, boys, you love me right now at a certain age, and you, you, you think I'm your hero, and I can do no wrong, but there's going to come a day where you think everything I do is stupid. It's ridiculous. Dad's out to get me. That's all part of the growing up years. But whatever you do, don't harden your heart towards your parents. Oh, what a hard thing for a parent to see a child bow up, cut off communication, bury themselves in their phone or their room, or their friends, or anybody and everything except mom and dad. Distance themselves so that they don't get any counsel and any wisdom. Your parents have forgotten more than you know. It would be good for you to try to glean that out. Counsel in the heart of man is like a well of deep water, and a man of understanding will draw it out. But boy, sometimes these relationships begin to fracture and break apart. Notice what the Bible says. First of all, when a relationship breaks... Seek unity. Would you say that with me tonight? Seek unity. Would you say it again? Seek unity. When a relationship breaks, seek unity. This relationship is breaking apart upon economic lines. The land was, couldn't bear them. Abraham was successful. He knew how to raise cattle and sheep and livestock. And Lot was learning from his uncle. And he knew how to raise cattle and sheep and livestock. And pretty soon there was too many for the land. It was breaking apart on domestic lines. Look at verse 7. It says, And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. There was a domestic issue going on. They weren't getting along. Supper wasn't sweet like it used to be. Time together wasn't sweet like it used to be. 
planning a vacation always had a cloud over it. What, what are we going to do? And, and, and are we going to be at odds with each other? Uh, getting up in the morning, going to bed at night, strife, strife, strife. Strife is such a hard thing. James says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. He says later in James uh, chapter 3, he says that, that, that the wisdom that descendeth from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. But the wisdom that causes people to devour and bite each other and strive against each other for no cause, it's, it's devilish. It's wicked. And many times we justify it. We justify it because that's the norm on TV. We justify it because we see others doing it. We justify it because that's what we saw when we were going up. And God says it's not right. Number one, seek unity. Then there is a division Caused by spiritual matters. Look at verse 7. It says of the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Hey, sometimes this strife and this fracture and this fissure of a relationship comes between somebody that we go to church with. Number one, seek unity. Unity isn't something that a compromiser thought of. Unity isn't something that a new evangelical thought of. The Bible says how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the oil that runs down Aaron's beard. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon. It's, it brings nourishment. It brings the anointing of God. It brings the blessing of God. Oh, we need to be seeking unity. We need to desire unity. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 that one of the jobs of the pastor and the evangelist and, and before they faded off the scene, the apostle and the prophet was for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the minister, ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith. Let's just kind of practice that in our, our buildings. Brother Ray, how, how, do we think, how do we think about a building that has got a fracture in it? Crack up the wall. A crack in the foundation. We think that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's a bad thing. And I know that you all believe that up here in Northern Virginia. Uh, you all are about making sure everything is just right and proper. Brother Ray came down to visit me in North Carolina and they were building a highway and poor, poor, poor brother de Guzman, a, a, a permit issuer, a, 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 an officer. He would violation, 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 violation. <laughs> you know, we're just a bunch of hillbilly rednecks down there in North Carolina. It just about drove him absolutely stark raving mad because of all the violations. And I know what you all think. I remember years ago asking this church and this congregation, what's the first thing that you need to have, to have a building? And I was thinking foundation. I mean, isn't that what, what we would all think? And everybody here was thinking, permit. <laughs> I know, I know how that works. But watch here, uh, th- this unity ought to be right. We wouldn't want a, a, a building that we're living in to fracture. I was staying in a home in Texas some years ago and, and I know what level is and what level is not because I have to level my home every week as a fifth wheel puller. Well, we were staying at home. We didn't have our trailer with us, and the house was not level. And I walked in, and doors would swing open naturally. And I walked. I said, this place is not level. 
I could set a ball at one end of the house and it would roll to the other end down the hallway without me pushing it. I said, Pastor, I don't think that house is level. Oh, yeah, he said, something to do with the clay in our area. A lot of houses have this problem. I said, really? I said, there's cracks up the wall? Now, what, what, what am I worried about? I'm worried about that house falling in because there's not unity. Well, how do we think of unity in a team? Doesn't a coach want unity? Isn't it right to seek unity? How do we work with an army? Wouldn't we want the army to have unity, communication proper from the top to the bottom, carrying out those orders, a chain of command, respect, uh, a right relationship, not a rift. We want to aim our guns at the enemy, not aim our guns at each other. And somehow in our home, we don't need unity. In our marriage, it's not really a priority. Uh, by the way, uh, husband, wife, you should be talking about these things with each other. Now, we men are dense. I think the ladies usually are more concerned about it than the men. And we men, we were thinking about conquering the world and building a business and doing whatever it is we do. And the ladies thinking about domestic matters. But, but sir, you should take time to talk to your, your wife about these things. How can we have better unity? How can we have a sweet harmony in our home? How would unity work, Brother Monday? Uh, disunity in the choir. Not so well. Everybody's praying that it'll get to the end real quick. When there's disunity, number one, when a relationship breaks, do like Abraham and seek unity. Would you say it again with me? Seek unity. But look at what the Bible says in verse number seven. It says the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. You know what I believe? I believe the Canaanite and the Perizzite had the influence of, of Egypt all over them, in them, on them, the scent of the world, the sounds of the world, the, the, the influence of the world, and they were doing everything they could to influence those around them away from God. They were idolatrous people. If I were to tell you some of the things that the Canaanite and the Perizzite did, I couldn't do it in a mixed company. They were wicked people. And our society has gone full headlong in that direction, caring little about God's commandments and caring little about God's holiness. And that's all a pull to pull us apart. Hey, young people... Blood is thicker than water. Don't let anything pull you apart from your family. You ought to love your family. You ought to love your parents. I know sometimes there are domestic disputes, but you ought to stand up for your parents and stand up for your siblings on a moment's notice. Number one, seek unity. That's what Abraham was seeking. Look at what he said in verse number eight. He, he said to his, his nephew Lot, he said, let there be no strife, I pray thee. There's no reason for this strife. Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdmen and thy herdmen. For we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Number two, part selflessly. Would you say that with me? Part selflessly. Number one, seek unity. Number two, part selflessly. There are going to be times when you have to part. Now, a marriage covenant ought to be something that's an insoluble bond. And you ought to strive for that to stay the way it is until death do us part. And the devil and the world and the flesh are doing everything to part that. But 
But there are times when a child needs to go out and a child needs to make his way or her way or they are headed off to college and it doesn't seem like it is a, a sweet parting. Watch, part selflessly. Look at Genesis 13 and verse 9. He said, the whole land is before you. Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Now, parents, let me, let me just say to you, I'm, I'm a parent. My oldest is 19. My, my next oldest is almost 17. And we're right there with the kids wanting to spread their wings. Uh, I don't think it's healthy for us to enable our children to stay at home forever. That's not healthy. That's not wise. That's not practical. And kids, if you are at home, you ought to be thinking, I want to go to a good Bible college. I would encourage everyone to go to Bible college for at least a year. You say, well, doesn't that cost? Well, yes, it does. But it'll be an investment. And you go to go, go to get training under good Christians and, and a place where there's going to be professors that love you and, and, and a safe environment and, and get under the preaching of the word of God every day so that your heart can be stirred. And if you don't know what the will of God is for your life exactly, then, then this will be a good place to discover that and find that out. Or you go off into your career, but don't spend forever in your mom and dad's home. That's not smart. That's not wise. That's not healthy in a family. You have to determine when and how that all works out. But if you part, and and a parting has to take place, part selflessly. And there was a right response by Abraham in verse number 9. He said, if thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. You know what that tells me about Abraham? Abraham wasn't clutching closely and tightly to the things of this world. Money was not a big deal to Abram. Now, obviously, he knew how to make it. He was a very wealthy man, but but it wasn't a big deal to him. You, you choose the best lane. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. You choose. He had a right response. And look what happened when he did. Verse number 10, uh, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan. This is why I say there was a spiritual aspect. Verse number 10, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord like the land of Egypt as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separate themselves, the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Mm. And look what happened. God rewarded Abram. He said, And the Lord said unto Abram, After that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. You see, because he was selfless, God rewarded him. He had a righteous response and he had a a, a wonderful reward. 
A, a reaping reward. So, number one, if a parting has to happen, and if that's going on right now in your relationships or with someone that you love and you care for, but you just don't see eye to eye, the Bible says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? And that parting begins to take place. All right, number one, seek unity. Number two, part selflessly. But number three, I want to study Genesis 14 and note, you need to rescue sensibly. Would you say that with me? Rescue sensibly. And by that I mean rescue from high ground. All right, let's look at Genesis chapter 14. And notice, And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elasar, Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that these men made war, these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, and Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemabir, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. All these were joined together in the vale, or the valley, vale of Siddim, which is the salt sea. Twelve years they served Chedorlaomer, and in the thirteenth year, they rebelled. And in the fourteenth year came Chedorlaomer and the kings that were with him and smote the Rephaims in Ashtaroth, Karanaim, and the Zuzims in Ham, and the Emims in Sheva, Kiriathayim, and the Horhites in their, in their Mount Seir unto El Paran, which is by the wilderness, and they returned and came to Enmishvat, which is Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Malachites and also of the Amorites that dwell in Hazes and Tamar. And there went out the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah. Time out, time out. Who's living in Sodom and Gomorrah right now? Lot. The Bible says that he first he looked toward Sodom, and then he pitched his tent toward Sodom, and then he was living in Sodom. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 13 that the men of Sodom were sinners and wicked exceedingly. Young people, Sodom has nothing to promise you that is good. Young people, Sodom will give you, promise you the world and give you nothing but pennies. Sodom will promise you pleasure and give you nothing but heartache. Don't go after Sodom. Don't long for Sodom. Don't think that's where it is. Because that's where it's not. What comes in Sodom is something that lasts for a little while, brings you a boatload of grief and guilt, and, 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 and leads to hell. And young people, don't just think about you and your immediate pleasure. And I want to say this to adults too. Don't look towards Sodom. How many stories could Pastor and I tell you, one after another after another, of those that we have loved and reached out to and worked with and worshipped with, and once along the way, sometime along the way, they began to look towards Sodom. And looking towards Sodom always gets you from the front row to the back row. And then it gets you out the door. And then it gets you not coming back to church. And then it gets you thinking the world is where it's at. And once you get out of the habit of serving God and worshiping God and loving God and showing Him that you love Him, it's just easier to stay out of the habit. And then pretty soon you think the world can suit your fancy and the world can satisfy. And the world never satisfies. First John 2, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Amen. Don't go after Sodom. Lot's right there in Sodom. And look what happens. Verse number 8. It says, there went out the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Admon, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, the same as Zoar, and they joined battle with them in the vale of Siddim. All right, now in the next few verses, they're going to take Sodom and defeat Sodom, and they're going to kidnap Lot, verse 12. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. Wow. 
Now look what, Lot, look what Abram does. And there came one that had escaped, verse 13, and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, and brother of Aner. And these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. Dan is in the north. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods, and the women also, and the people. So number one, when a relationship breaks, seek unity. Now I'm looking at this from Abram's perspective. I I hope that you see that by now. Not Lot's. When a relationship breaks, seek unity. Somebody has to be an adult. Somebody has to make the hard decisions. Somebody has to see things down the road. Young people, don't just decide for right now. Look down the road and see how it's going to affect you 10 years from now. Then make your decision. Take the long look. Seek unity. Number two, part selflessly. Number three, rescue sensibly. You know what I found, Pastor? Sometimes, listen to me, sometimes it's the parents that get sucked in by the world. The kids tell the parents, well, we got to have this app and we got to have this, uh, this TV program or we got to have this, uh, this new outfit or we got to have this, uh, th- this entertainment. And the parents desire to, to take care of their kids instead of saying, well, is that what's best? Number one, is it right? Number two, is it what's best? Is it three, number three, the will of God? How does it fit in all of that? And, and, and not everything that's good or pleasurable is against the will of God. I hope you understand what I'm saying in that. But sometimes the parents get sucked into soccer every part of every weekend and every part of every day and then the travel team and then pretty soon that just sucks them right out of church. Oh! Oh! I wish you could hear the conversations I have with pastors crying out, wishing somehow they could communicate to their people that sports is not forever. And when you put a priority on sports as opposed to church or honoring God, it's not going to help your kids down the road five years. I love sports. I try to play soccer with my boys every day. I I love everything about sports. I I love to look at sports and study sports and see different athletes. But that shouldn't be something that takes us away from the Lord. It should be a little seasoning in our life, a little enjoyment in our life, a little entertainment in our life, a little good exercise in our life. But it's not what should take us away from God. Neither should entertainment. Neither should any pursuit. And, and so what, what I say is sometimes the kid with their desire or whatever it is they're pursuing will go after it. And instead of the parent saying, well, let's keep it all in check. We got to keep things in priority. My dad said, son, you can play baseball, but you can't play on Sunday and you can't practice on Wednesday. And you just tell your coach that. He said the world, this is back in the seventies and eighties. He said the world doesn't care anything about God. They don't care anything about church. And they'll schedule practices and play any time of the week. And they just need to know, you know, no, no. And so I'd tell my coach that. And, and that may meet, meant that I wouldn't start in some games. That's okay. I survived. Look at the specimen that I am today. 
All right, now watch. The kid will go after it, and instead of the parent saying, well, let's keep things in check, keep things in priority, they just get swept away with it. And then are you thinking about this? When it's time to rescue their kids, they're not on good footing. They themselves are not on good ground. When I say rescue sensibly, I mean rescue from the high ground. Now, I'll tell you, parents, especially with your oldest, it's a hard thing because not only are they growing up, but you have to grow up. They're not little kids anymore. They're not bouncing on your knee. They're not swinging on the swing and sliding down the slide. They've got minds and wills of their own and they're exercising them. Sometimes there's conflict. And sometimes you have to just put your adult, uh, adult mindset on and say, no, mm-mm. You're going to have to do whatever it is you're going to have to do, but we're going to do this. This is a Christian home. We're not going to allow certain things. And you just need to know that. And, and, and so you say, why? Because if you don't do that and you get a wash in the world with them, guess what is going to happen when you have to come and rescue them? You need rescued. You're not on high ground. You rescue from solid ground, not from low ground. You rescue from high ground, not from weak ground. And the reason that Abraham was able to make a rescue was because he had things right. I wonder what the conversation was like between Uncle Abraham and, and, and his nephew Lot on the way home. Hey, Lot, I'm concerned about you. I haven't heard from you lately. I was wondering how you've been. A little concerned about the neighborhood you're living in. Maybe we should get with a realtor and see if you can change your location. Oh, no, Uncle Abe, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. Well, what, what about church? Have you been building altars and worshiping the Lord? No, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. Well, it doesn't look like it turned out too well. You know one reason why I know Lot was saved based upon the Old Testament? Because of Genesis 14. This is chastening. And what did Abram do? Well, he sought unity. He parted selflessly. He rescued sensibly. Now turn to Genesis chapter 18, would you, and we're through. The Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. In the first eight verses, Abram jumps to his feet to serve the Lord. He recognizes the Lord has come, and he wants to honor God. In verses 9 through 15, the Lord reminds Sarai, or Sarah, that she's going to have a baby in her 90s. She laughs. He calls her on her laughter. She denies that she laughed. He said, is anything too hard for the Lord? And God gets the last laugh. And they decided to name Isaac Laughter. Verse 16, And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation? And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I know him, what a testimony verse 19 is, that he will command his children and his household after him. I don't think this is so much a directive kind of command as much as it is commanding respect. I know that through his example and through his life and through his choices and through his desires, 
He's going to command his family after him. A leader doesn't demand respect. A leader commands respect by their life and by their choices. Yes, directives are involved, but but he's first showing a godly example. The number one, you read leadership books, the number one quality of a good leader is example. And, And dad, the most important place that you lead is in the home. Not in the office. Not on your ship. Not on your flight crew. The most important place that you lead is in the home. Look at what the Bible says. God says, I know him. He'll command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me. And if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. If I were you, I'd mark the phrase at the end of verse 22. Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And let's notice the final way we should respond when a relationship breaks. Number four, plead compassionately. Seek unity. Part selflessly. Rescue sensibly. And plead compassionately. Would you say that? Plead compassionately. You could say pray compassionately. Because Abram stood before the Lord. Abraham did, verse 23, and Abraham drew near. I'd underline that phrase, verse 23. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And he comes with a series of questions before the Lord. Peradventure, that word means perhaps or maybe, there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for fifty for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner. To slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked? That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. You see, Abraham knew that the Lord was holy, and he knew when he went down to Sodom, he'd find wickedness and debauchery and sodomy and homosexuality and immorality rife. And he knew that he wouldn't respond to that in, in mercy. He was going with his face set towards judgment. And he said, Please show mercy. Please show mercy. You see, when he's pleading, he's pleading for compassion. He's pleading with compassion. He's pleading for mercy. Sometimes you see your family, or you see your friends, or you see former church members, or fellow brothers and sisters who walk away from the Lord and walk away from the faith. Plead, plead, plead for them. Pray for them. Beg God for them. Sometimes a relationship has never been formed because it's never come to the cross and the person has never been born again. Plead for them. Look ahead and see where they're headed to an eternal fiery hell. Understand that they will go there without Christ and without God. And if they don't trust Christ as their Savior and they're never born again, when they die, they'll slip into hell forever and there'll be no escape. And Abraham knew that, and that's why he pled with compassion. And he pled before God, well, well, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? What if you find 50 righteous? In verse number 26, the Lord said, If I find Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham listened to his pathos and his passion, answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. He understood his place. 
He's saying, Lord, I'm not asking because I deserve it. I know that I don't deserve it. I'm just dust and ashes to approach you. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, if I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall thirty be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham. And Abraham returned unto his place. He went from 50 to 45 to 30 to 20 to 10. You know what I think he was doing? In his mind, he was adding up. There's Lot. There's his wife. There's his two daughters that are still at home. And I believe there's three daughters that are married. 10. 10. He said, Lord, if there's ten, will you spare the city? Now you think of the difference between Abraham's attitude and Jonah's attitude. Abraham was pleading for mercy. One time I was in a prayer revival prayer meeting with some young men from college and one young man talked about Vegas. He'd been there with a vacation Bible school team called Neighborhood Bible Time. He said, oh, I'll pray for Vegas. That's a wicked city. Pray that God will judge it. I said, hold on. I said, is that the right way to pray? I said, what if it was you that was awash in sin? I said, what if it was your family that lived there? Would you want God to just wipe it out? I said, wouldn't it be a better thing to pray for mercy? What, 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 what two things does God bring and motivates us to come to God? Mercy or judgment? Do you say, preacher? I think yes would be the right answer. Yes would be the right answer. Sometimes the fear of God is necessary in our life, and it's very important that we have it. But then there's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Thy gentleness hath made me great. And I'll tell you, when a relationship breaks, we ought to pray for them. Amen. We ought to pray for them. Hey, parents, don't look down your nose at some other kid in this church, some teenager that's struggling. When you see a teenager struggling, that's the time to start praying right then. You don't know what's going on in their head. You don't know how their heart is aching. You don't know what battle internally they're fighting. You don't know how the devil is attacking them. And after you've prayed a bit, slip your arm around them and say, Hey, I'm so glad you're here. Man, I love, I love to see you singing and, and, and being in your place. And is there anything I can do to be a blessing? You let me know. And speak words of encouragement and affirmation and help to them. And by the way, that shouldn't just be for teenagers. That should be for any one of us. That's right. That's a way to throw a cord of love around them. Now I'm talking about when a relationship breaks. But I don't want to end tonight talking about a relationship that has already broken. The relationship between us and the Lord. You may be here tonight lost 
without Christ never having been born again. You may be religious and moral and a decent person, good citizen, but you've never been saved. I want to say to you with all the kindness, but with all the firmness that I have, your relationship between you and God has already broken. And that's why there's a tension. And that's why there's a burden. And that's why there's a struggle. And that's why you don't have peace. That if you died today, you'd go to heaven. You can know that if you died today, that you would go to heaven. And that relationship is restored at the cross. When you understand Jesus died for you and was buried and rose again and will save you tonight if you'll come to Him by faith and believe on Him as your Savior. What should we do when relationships break? Seek unity. We should part selflessly. We should seek unity and part selflessly. And then as we, we proceed in this process, we should, we should rescue sensibly from the high ground, from a position of strength. And then we plead with compassion. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, I thank you for your word and the mighty power it wields. Thank you for these dear ones that have gathered every night. Bless them, I pray. Lord, now I pray that you'd speak to hearts as we enter our invitation. We're not going to tarry long, but we certainly want to give an opportunity at the end of our service to seek you. I wonder with your heads bowed and your eyes closed if you'd say, Brother Dwight, I know that I'm going to heaven. I'm sure that I'm saved. But you'd say, Brother Dwight, right now, I'm in a situation similar to Abraham and Lot. And there's something that God spoke to my heart specifically about tonight that I can do on my part To honor the Lord even if this relationship breaks. Would you pray for me that I would? If that's you, would you slip up your hand right now? God bless you. Good. Okay. Good. God is interested in us having relationships that ought to be. And having them strong. And having them flourish. Not just barely make it. I wonder if you'd say, Brother Smith, pray for someone with me that their relationship would be restored if that's you would you slip up your hand right now good okay God bless you I want to ask two more questions how many can say without hesitation preacher I'm not perfect but I know I'm saved if I die today or I died 10 years from now I know for a fact that I'm going to heaven there's been a time when I've accepted Jesus as my savior if that's you would you slip up your hand right now Slip it up high. Know that I'm going to heaven. I'm sure of it. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Now, I'm not asking if you want to go or you hope you'll go. I'm asking, do you know? If you couldn't raise your hand just now, you'd say, Preacher, I, I don't know. I would like to, but I'm not sure that I'm going. Would you pray for me? Yes, I will. I'll not embarrass you, but I want to just pray for you. Is that, if that's you, would you just quietly lift your hand? Is there anybody here like that? Say, preacher, pray for me. If I died now or 10 years from now, I don't know in my heart that I'd go to heaven, but I want to know. Is there anyone at all like that? Just slip up your hand. Let me pray for you. Anyone? Anyone? I'll not embarrass you or single you out. I just want to pray for you. Anyone? Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'm going to ask the pianist to play a verse of invitation song.